Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Today, my guest is a recovering drug user, and he'll be sharing his lived experience as a drug addict and how Narcotics Anonymous helped him and helps other drug addicts overcome the impact of drug abuse. Uh, So welcome to the show, Tony. Yeah, thanks, Bill. So, Tony, we usually talk about growing up and the influences on our lives. Um, So what was family life like for you as a kid? So as a a young child, four or five or six, um, I was a happy-go-lucky child, as as I remember it to be. Um, didn't see any problems in the world, was laughing all the time and um, quite happy. And then um, from six to, say, 11, there was a bit of trouble in, in the marriage of my parents. Um, my father worked night shift. My mother was around in the daytime, of course. And I went to a Catholic school. He was an atheist, um, which didn't go well. And, um, and I sort of started to sort of not be as happy as I used to be when, when I was sort of that four or five. And then as um, I, I hit teens, I started smoking cigarettes. I caught my brother smoking, so I blackmailed him and he gave me a cigarette and then I got hooked and then he stopped. And then I started drinking alcohol and on my own, drinking alcohol on my own. There wasn't any in the house, but um, I managed to buy it. You could buy it at the shop and they'd just give it to you. There was no um, rules or regulations back then. I was smoking um, every day. And then I... Um, uh, my mother got rid of my, I had an older brother who was um, four years older than me and she um, told him that he had to leave the house and that the police were going to be around and um, so he left and I got quite frightened about that sort of happening. Um, then I sort of, I worried a bit about school. So I stopped, I started wagging school a bit, not going and I didn't do anything wrong but I'd just go down the beach and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, um, and one day I was at school and the police turned up and um the principal of the school came and said, uh, there's a car here to take you away. You're nothing but trouble. And I thought, well, I haven't been in any trouble. I thought, well, you know what I mean? But, so they, they arrested me um, at school, uh, put me into a paddy wagon, took me to a police station, put me in a cell. And uh, I stayed there for about three days. And then um, I ended up in um, a place called Tirana, which was a boys' home in Melbourne. And um, from there I went on a, on a, on a trip to um, a lake in um, northern Australia with, with other boys. And um, uh, me and another boy decided to go for a swim and he drowned and I couldn't save him. And um, they just put me in a car and um, they bought me a sandwich at Lilydale and then put me back in Tirana. I um, then went to another boy's home, which was a small boy's home in um, in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne, um, completely disjointed from my family. My mother ended up going insane and was put into an insane asylum in Ballarat, and I, did, I didn't know where my brother was. So um, 
I used to escape every now and again from the home um, and I found some boys at school. I, I went to school um, of my own volition and um, and they, they all wanted to buy some marijuana and I wanted to buy some marijuana. So I was sort of like the leader of the gang. So I said, I'll go, you give me your money and I'll go and get some. And I caught a bus to Monash University. I went to the to the cafe there. I picked the biggest hippie that I could see. And I said, how you going? I said, I want to buy some marijuana. And he said, I haven't got any marijuana, but I've got acid. I said, what's that? Because I didn't know what it was. And he said, oh, I was just little black dots. And he said, you swallow them. I said, all right. I said, how much are they? He said, $2. I said, I'll have 15 <laughs> So I bought 15 acid trips. I didn't know what they were. And there was a guy waiting for me back at the bus stop. And um, we, we got on the bus and we decided we should swallow two. So we swallowed two each. By the time I got off the bus, I didn't know where I was. <laughs> I didn't know what was. <laughs> Sounds like a very, a very wild ride. <laughs> so can I take you back a little bit just to um, back up and talk about things? So, you know, you, you mentioned your mum had mental health issues. Yes. Did you understand why your brother got evicted from home? No, she never told me, but, she, I mean, she when I, when I got arrested at school, I hadn't done anything wrong. So I found out what the charge was years later, but the charge was likely to lapse into a life of crime and violence. So I hadn't actually broken the law. So they pretty much guaranteed that. <laughs> and then they put me in Toronto so that I'd definitely become a criminal. <laughs> Gosh, that, that was really, that's that's incredible, isn't it? It's just... Yeah. You sort of you don't you don't hear about that very often. No. So it must have been pretty traumatic for you then. Yeah. Being separated from your from your parents. Did your dad do anything? Uh, he, he he just disappeared into the ether and died. So yeah, well that's what I was told. So yeah. And I've never tracked it down. You know what I mean? I've never gone on the research trail to sort of find out did he really die or you know. But I think he did. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and my mother was, you know, she got out of hospital eventually. Her twin sister had to sign her out, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And then, she, but she didn't really change. She, she was still, yeah, I mean, sometimes she was nice, but most of the time she was pretty horrible to me, you know what I mean? So. Yeah. So just just going back to um, before you started school and things, things were, things were pretty good. So do you sort of understand what happened at that point when things went bad? So, so it was, my dad was working night shift and I think my mum was seeing another man, you know what I mean? I think my dad knew that was going on and he left and I think she pushed him out the door but he was happy to go, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then my brother who was four years old, he must have known more than I did, you know what I mean? And maybe he was sort of saying you're a bitch or what, you know what I mean? Like you're not yeah. nice or something. So she got rid of him and I never suspected that I was going to go. You know I mean? Right. I got arrested at school and she came to Tirana and, they told me that she was coming and, you know, to be nice and blah, blah, blah. Because they were trying to get me sent back home because I hadn't broken the law. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. Because I was a juvenile delinquent or anything. And um, she said, no, no, I'm not taking you home, you know, and, and, I, and I lost it. You know, I got really aggressive, you know, and said, you're a bitch and you right. know, threw things around the room. And they said, oh, he's uncontrollable. <laughs> yeah, that's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, gosh. Oh, it's, that's an amazing story, I mean. So, you know, do you want to talk about, you said you went went back to school voluntarily. So was that something you enjoyed doing, going to school or not? Yeah, well, there was no school in Toronto. I was there for two or three, two and a half years, three years, and they did back school, you know. So in this smaller boys' home, it was only six boys, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. there, was a, there was a high school not far away, and I, I thought, well, I want to go to that. Most of the other children wanted to go and work. You know what I mean? I didn't want to work. I wanted to 
out of school, you know what I mean? So I went to school and and that's where I met drug users and, and all that sort of stuff, you know what I mean? So that's, that was the it was the curly end of the stick, I suppose, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I guess you were looking for kids who weren't conforming. Yeah, 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 a bit radical, yeah. Like we had long hair and we had e- earrings and, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know. And, and I had, you know, things tied on my jeans, sewn on my jeans. Yeah, we were different, yeah. We were different people, yeah. Yeah, that was all part of it, standing out, yeah. So what was friendship like for you? You know, could, could you develop close friendship with kids at school? No, I've never been able to maintain friendships. I've always been able to make friends, but I've never been able to maintain friendships and until really, really, like probably, you know, 15 years ago I started to be able to do that. Yeah, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. But um, not, not back as a I just, I'd have girlfriends and they'd leave me and, you know, I'd have mates and they'd sort of not want to hang, hang with me anymore. But I was, I was pretty sort of out there, you know what I mean? I, was, I, I became sort of what they said I would be, you know what I mean? I, I became a criminal, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah, self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So going to Monash, getting the acid, as you said, and taking it, was that the start of what you consider to be your drug use? Yeah, yeah. So I, I stopped drinking and I started smoking hash or spotting it off a hot plate, to be more correct. And then there was a house, it wasn't a house, it was a shop where people could go, sort of like a drop-in centre thing. Yeah. And I, I went there, there was a drug dealer there and he took me back to his joint and I stayed at his joint for the rest of, you know, the next while before I ended up, I ended up in prison eventually. You know, like I was, and he was sort of, um, you know, I did all of the things that were really dangerous to do, like go and actually pick up the drugs and take the money to the bank or wherever, you know, I did all the stuff that was, if you got caught, you'd go to jail. He, he just sat back. But I... I like taking the risk. I thought it was fun, you know, and, and I could drive a car. I was only 17 or something, you know, drive cars all over the place and people, were, you know, like me and girls like me, you know, and so all that sort of, and it was daring and, you know, and I would have, I would have jumped in. If someone was going to shoot him, I would have jumped in front of, in front of him to save his life, you know, and yeah. I think today, what do I think like that? Yeah. <laughs> so did he treat you well? Yeah, he treated me well. Yeah, they fed me and all that sort of stuff. And I had drugs on tap. I mean, I never ran out of drugs and I was delivering drugs, you know, through the whole of the eastern suburbs. Like it was the mafia came down and, and, and um, delivered drugs to him and then he delivered drugs to us. And then he got involved with the Hells Angels and they, they were the first ones to make a drug called Crank, which was cocaine and speed. So we started selling that and, and snorting it and, and all that sort of stuff. And then what happened to me was I was at a hotel and I was meant to be picking up some drugs. I had $100,000 cash given to me to pay the guy that was dropping off the drugs. Uh, they were always late, which is what they were meant to be coming late because so that no one knew when they were going to turn up so he couldn't get arrested. Anyway, I got anxious and anxiety attacks, you know, so I, I left the pub and then I realised I'd forgot the bag underneath the table, you know what I mean? So I went back to get it and it was gone. And I thought, well, that's $100,000 and it's gone and, and I haven't got any drugs. So I rang the guy that I was living with up, the drug dealer, and I said, I've lost the money. And he said, oh, that's not a problem. Just come back. And I thought, nah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming back. <laughs> so I went to, um, to a girl that I knew, and they all didn't like her because she was a heroin addict. Yeah. And they said, don't trust, um, don't trust junkies, is what they used to say. 
And I went to her place and she said, oh, do you want to have a hit? And I said, yeah, yeah, I need something, you know. And so I stayed there for about a week and then she said, well, you've got to do something. You've got to bring money in. We can't just, you know, we can't just keep giving you heroin and food yet. And uh, I said, all right. So I ended up in St Kilda as a drug dealer, you know what I mean? So, and then I went to jail um, and then I went to jail again and again and, yeah, spent years in jail. Long time. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit about that, about, how you got caught and what what the process was to to take you from being caught to going to prison? Yeah, so so I I robbed a whole lot of houses and I stolen a lot of cars and I got caught driving a car that was the drug dealers, but it was in a fake name, so they thought that was stolen too, and I couldn't sort of prove it wasn't. And um, I had a solicitor just just to have the solicitors that were at court, and they're not very good. They're free, but they're not very good. You remember? And they said, said one of them told me he said. Just tell them that your girlfriend's pregnant and <laughs> you'll get off. I said, she's not even talking to me much. <laughs> so I ended up in jail and jail was like a reunion because everyone from boys' home was there. And we sort of, we looked out for each other in jail, you know, so we could, you could I could play up with and, and tell people to piss off and, you know, like I'm, I'm, you're going to give me your runners and I'm going to have your, you know, your jacket. <laughs> Because there was more of us than there was of them. <laughs> oh my god, it is a completely foreign uh, lifestyle for somebody like me. But I'm glad you haven't been in jail. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I once went to Win Leighton to talk about Eleanor and family groups, and yeah, that was a pretty unusual place as well. But I think I'm not sure if that still is still running. No, Win Leighton's gone. Yeah, oh, the yeah. girls, the girls from Win Leighton used to get weekend leave, and they used to come to our house. Which was in Springfield Road instead of going Um, So, how were you when you went to jail? I guess the first time after the police just put you in in prison. Yes, uh, I got out. I mean, I didn't have my clothes; they're gone. Every all my all the physical things that I I had. Yeah. I had a motorbike, and I still can't remember what happened to that. You know what I mean? But like, I had a car that was gone. You know what I mean? Like, so I really had to start from scratch. There was a, a place called um, 55 Swanson Street was the social worker's place, do you know what I mean? Like you could go there and get money Yeah. Um, because I was a ward of the state. And um, so I'd go there and get money and they'd just, they'd just hand it out of the cameras and I'd just go and score and, um, and, and then I'd go and, you know, buy more and, and cut it and sell it and, and then I'd get arrested and I'd go back to jail. I did run-throughs in, in diamond shops, you know what I mean, and all sorts of stuff I did. Yeah. There was always people to sell it to, you know what I mean? Like, and, and my health was going down. I had a, a lot of illness. I, I had really bad asthma. I, I kept getting pleurisy and, and tuberculosis and, and all sorts of things, you know, because I was I was lived on the streets a lot, you know what I mean, because it was just lived by your wits, you know what I mean? Yeah, I didn't. And I couch surfed, I think they call it these days, you know, I couch surfed a fair bit, you know what I mean? And until people would say, well, you got to go, you know, and they always said you got to go. So yeah. I always went, you know, I just said, all right, hello, you know. Yeah. I always ended up back in jail, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think that's the thing. Without stable housing, it's very difficult to maintain assets or maintain anything. And going to prison, you just sort of it's back to ground zero each time. It's like home, you know. Like yeah, going home, you know. And and I knew all the prison officers. We call them screws, but I knew all the prison officers, and they'd say, "Oh, you're back again." And, you know, and it was a pretty hard time back then. Like it was Pentridge. I ended up in 
I, I kicked off in a remand centre, um, and which was D division, and then I had a, a mental breakdown. I ended up in G division for that, and um, then I ended up in um, H division. I escaped from court once, and I, uh, I got caught before I got anywhere. But um, but they put me in H division for that, and then after that, I was in A division for a while, and then I went to um, to JICA um, as a management problem, and I got out of there just before the fire that killed the six men in. Um, the, the, the uh, unit next to me, so I was in Unit 4, they were in Unit 3, and they died about a month after I got out, all of them, yeah, smoke inhalation, yeah, so they were on, they were rioting, you know what I mean, and they put yeah. their mattresses on fire and it was uh, that foam stuff and it killed them. Yeah. It's really tragic, isn't it? Yeah. Well, listen, we might, we might take a short break there.
Our first song was Let Go by Danny Tevalu off the First Sounds Volume 7 album. Danny's a First Nations singer-songwriter hailing from the Gold Coast and her song was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Calling all filmmakers, the 9th Annual Setting Sun Film Festival wants your film. Enter a short or a feature-length film for the chance to see your work up on the gorgeous Sun Theatre screen in Yarraville. The Sun Theatre was voted one of the most beautiful theatres in the world, with up to $10,000 in prizes for winners. Entries close on the 31st of January 2022. Go to settingsun.com.au and enter your film now. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a 3CR supporter. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Uh, today I'm talking to Tony and we're talking about recovery from drug abuse with the help of Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, so, Tony, before uh, the break, we were talking about a lot of your prison time and the fact that you got out of prison. And I guess I want to, I guess, talk a bit about, you know, coming out of prison without anything. So what's it like, you know, coming out of prison without anything and having been a drug user? You know, what's your life like? So I've been in prison for a long time, about eight years or something in one, in one way and lots of prison before that, but smaller sentences always got bigger, so it's backtracking a bit. But when I got out, I, I, I went to um, a Centrelink office and I had a letter from, from the jail saying, please give this man money or whatever it was, you know what I mean? Like, and um, I handed that over and they gave me the money and um, I befriended a do-gooder in jail because I had to have somewhere to go and he organised for me to have a flat, this a country town, um, and so... I got, I got the flat and they dropped off all this food and they gave me all this meat and I had to cook it all at once because I didn't have a fridge, you know, and I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I didn't have any drugs, but I had to go to see um, a social worker was part of my parole condition because of my drug use, you know. And um, so I went to the parole officer and said, uh, you know, do I have to do that? And she said, yeah, you do. And my file was pretty thick. And she said, if you don't, you'll go back to jail. I said, well, that's good. You know, so now I know where it's at. If I want to go back to jail, I can. 
And all I really wanted to do was to have a holiday from jail. You know what I mean? I just wanted to have a holiday. I just saw that I would originally, eventually end up back in jail, you know, because nothing changes if nothing changes, you know. So I went to this social worker and he said, oh, yeah, I've read your file, blah, blah, blah. You, you're using heroin. I said, yeah. And he said, so are you using heroin now? I said, no, but I want to. You know what I mean? He said, well, you can use on the weekends, just don't use through the week, you know. And I said, well, that's not how it works. So I said, you get a habit, you get a habit, you've got to get more, you need more money, you need more heroin, you know. And he sort of said, he was a bit sort of taken aback in any way. So I sort of thought, well, this is useless. The advice I'm getting is useless. And the do-gooder, um, he was a real nice man, you know. He popped in on me every now and again just to sort of do a check of his own, you know, and he said, my son's coming down from New South Wales. I said, well, that's great. And he said, so we'd like you to come for tea at our house. I said, that's tremendous, you know, and he said, and 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 he's he's in a thing called NA. And I said, great, you know, and I'd heard of NA. They had NA in jail and I never went to it because I didn't want it on on my on my list, you know, as like that I'm a drug addict. I was trying to make out I wasn't one. So I, I said, oh, tremendous, you know, that's great. And then, anyway, so I went to have this tea with them and, and he was a really nice guy, you know, and he said, there's a meeting on tonight. And I said, good, you know, I thought he was going to go to it. And he said, would you like to come to it? And I said, oh, yeah, of course I would. You know, so, so <laughs> he said, well, I'll come and pick you up, go home and change, you know, and, and I'll come and pick you up and then we'll go to the meeting. I said, Fantastic. <laughs> and I thought, how am I, I just wanted the meal. <laughs> how am I going to get out of this? You know, so I got to this meeting and some things changed. So there was only about four or five people there. I didn't know how many were going to be there. And um, there was no women. And it, this was just a country meeting in a country town. And um, they, they were telling their stories and they weren't like me. They hadn't done things that I'd done. And I thought, well, you know, I'll be able to I'll run the show by the end of this, you know, like I can, I'll be able to take over, you know. And then, and then they, so they put money in a bowl and I thought I could take over NA and I've found where the money is, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll run it and I'll scam them, you know, and I'll, I'll, this will be good, you know. And, and then I listened to their stories and I realised that they were my people, but they weren't using. I'd never come across addicts who didn't use it's I'd never met one <laughs> I'd met one who didn't have drugs and wanted some but these people were sitting there quite content to share their stories about their, their drug use and, and and their recovery and and they they weren't trying it on they, they were serious you know and, and the other thing was there was a difference with their eyes if you look at most addicts their eyes are sort of gray you know and and they don't really look at you. you know, yeah. like, and these people were looking at me and they were smiling and they really wanted to help me. And, and I hadn't had that from people that were like me ever. You know what I mean? So it was a pretty big sort of shift. And then the meeting ended. He drove me home. I was on my own, of course, you know what I mean? And then they said before I left the meeting, they said, don't, don't forget to come back next week, same time, same place. You know, I said, yeah, not a problem. And I counted the days to go back because I didn't have anything to do. You remember? I got, and then I, I got invited to a, a party. It was New Year's Eve. You know, I got invited to a party by some people that I bumped into. You know what I mean? So I went to the party. I got drunk. I got aggressive. I wrecked a whole lot of fence posts walking back to my house. And I went to the meeting the next day. And it came around to my turn to share. And I said, oh, I got really drunk the other day. <laughs> I, I played up at this party and I, I wrecked a whole lot of fences on the way home. And they said, 
oh, you can't drink either. And I said, listen, I said, there must be something wrong here. I said, I don't want to be a priest. <laughs> I said, I'm happy to stop taking heroin, but I've got to take something. <laughs> yeah. And they said, no, 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 this is abstinence from all mind-altering, mood-changing um, drugs. And I said, oh, right. And I said, so is, is alcohol one of them? They said, yeah, because it changes your mood. Do you see what the problem? I said, all right. So I, I copped it because I still wanted to be one of them, you and me. So, and, and um, the police came around and, and, and poked fun at me and, and tried to wind me up so that I'd play up so they could get me, and I just said, nah. And I went to the do-gooder again and said, this has happened. So he went down to the police station with me and he got the senior sergeant out and, you know, and they the police came and apologised to me and all that sort of stuff. I'd never had police apologise to me in my life until then, you know. So I kept going to the meeting, yeah, I kept going to the meeting and it was only once a week. And then my um, to-be to, to wife turned up, you know what I mean, and it was the first girl at the meeting and yeah. I kind of said, yeah, I really like you and, and come back and, and, and she kept coming back and um, they gave me a book, a Narcotics Anonymous book, and, I, and they gave me a, a big book, an AA big book, and I had them on my shelf at home and, and waited for people to drop in to see me and no one did, you know, because um, no one knew where I lived and no, I didn't have a car or anything. Um, and then this, this girl that had turned up, she had a car and she didn't live that far away from where I was. I said, so, uh, and her car needed doing up, so I had some money, so I said, well, get your car fixed up. And then we started seeing each other a bit more and sort of, yeah, so that's sort of, we formed, I formed my first relationship since as a clean person than I've had, you know, before in my whole life, you know what I mean? Like I was, yeah. I was living clean and I was in a relationship with another human being and, and things were different. I told the truth. I didn't lie. I, I had money in the bank. I didn't have to spend it. I didn't have to steal from people. Um, she went to meetings with me. We went all over the place. And my life really changed. And then um, she became pregnant. And um, I had a sponsor. You have sponsors in LA. And I had a sponsor. And I told him I, I, that she's pregnant. And he said, oh, well, you best tell her to get an abortion. I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm 35. I want I want to have a baby. I just never thought I would be able to, you know. And um, he said, oh, it's, it's, your, it's your business what you do, but that's my advice. And I sort of thought, well, I don't really like you anymore. That's what you think, you know what I mean? So I got another sponsor, you know what I mean? But, like, no, no, there was plenty of them, you know. But um, yeah. I just didn't like his advice. And um, so we had that baby. He, he's, um, he's 27 now, and uh, he's never had a drug. He's never had a drink. I've got another one as well. He's a um, two years younger, and um, that, that's all I've got. I've got two grandchildren, and I haven't used any drugs for a long, 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 long time. You know what I mean? So um, my recovery's gone on and on, and my thinking has changed. I've learned to deal with the resentments of what happened to me. As you know, when, when I was you know made a, a ward of the state and all that sort of stuff. You know, and I hadn't done anything wrong. I, I, I used to, that used to be my linchpin, you know, that's the reason why I play up, you know what I mean? Look what you did to me, I'll, I'll be the I'll be a criminal. Watch me, just watch me, you know, like, yeah. you'll be sorry, you know what I mean? Yeah. Look at your mommy do, yeah. Yeah, but look at the jail I got. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about resentments, isn't it? It just sort of rots you, it never never really hurts them. Other people don't even know, know what you're talking about, because you, know? <laughs> you, you, know, you have to go and sort of say sorry to people you've done harm to, you know, like what you meant to. I used to go to people and say, oh, hi, Bill, I'm sorry I robbed you. And I, he said, when? <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't even know. You know? 
but I still did it. You know what I mean? Because I did whatever they told me I had to do. And then my life got better. Do you, do you know what I mean? My life got better. I'm calmer. I might have a, a pretty sort of unusual story, but um, uh, you know, you, you don't have to have a great story. You know what I mean? You just have to. You just have to share it. Share your, what it is that got you to where you are. You know, like to to become an addict is not an easy thing to do. And then to maintain, you know, I had a a track line on this arm that I used to show people. I used to say, see that, a million dollars. A million dollar arm, you know, like, and, and, and they didn't get it, some of them, you know. A lot of people would say, you know, the, the drugs you're selling are no good. I said, no, it's your tolerance that's gone up. You, know, like you, you don't understand. <laughs> you need more, not less. <laughs> you become an expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can I sort of take you back to um, your relationship and, uh, because one of the things with drugs and alcohol is that people tend to isolate a lot and not form relationships or any relationships they form are, are codependent. So what was it like forming a relationship that wasn't codependent? Yeah, well, it, was, it was like, and I've got to give a lot of credit to my partner, you know what I mean? Like, so, well, my wife, actually. But um, she's a lot cleverer than I am. You know, I think over the years I really did do a lot of damage to my brain from over, overuse. You know, I mean, I OD'd lots of times and... Um, all that sort of stuff, and she was really on the wicket, and and could she could read the literature and actually implement it into her life. So then she'd say to me, "What are you doing?" And I was saying, oh, "I'm doing this." And she said, "But you can't do that." You know, like, and then I'd sort of realise, "All oh, right, I've got to do this." You know, what I mean? and it, and it wasn't like it was. She told me what to do. She sort of said, "You, you should be doing that." You know, and you, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, and and. Like I used to talk out of school and, you know, and she said, you can't do that. People won't share if it's not safe for them to share, you know, if they want to tell you something but and Fred's not there and they don't want Fred to know, well, that's, that's their right. You know, you can't go and tell Fred, you know, listen. So my recovery, a lot of people think it's God, you know, and I, God bit bothered me because I'd been a Catholic I, I, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. I went to a Catholic school and it didn't do me much good, you know, and... Uh, one guy said to me, he said, Tony, look, see the rubbish bin over there? He said, that can be God. As long as you believe it's God, it's God. You know what I mean? He said, I don't have to believe that it's God, but as long as you believe in something, it's God. A tram can be a God or, you know, God can be some heavenly sort of thing. You know what I mean? But he said, but you have to have an external power. You have to have a higher power than yourself. And that's what you give. I give everything that was in me that was bad, you know what I mean? I was good at giving the bad things to my higher power. I'd say, take that away, take, you can have that, you can have that. And any successes, I claimed as the successes, I used to like put up in and say, I know, a good guy, you know, look at that. <laughs> so did that. No, but, um, I'm just a human being, you know what I mean? And it's not like you recover overnight, it's a long process, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. you go through highs and lows, you know what I mean? And sometimes you'll see some friends wander back out. And sometimes you're compelled to, this is really good. I should go and meet Fred, who I've known for life, and, you know, and get him to come. And they'd say, no, 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 don't go alone to get Fred because you won't come back. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, and I'd say, why? And they'd say, because Fred will have drugs. Yeah. <laughs> don't go back into the wines then to get your hat. You know, Daniel didn't go back into the wines. So I sort of stick to that philosophy and that saved me for a long time and it saved a lot of other people I, I used to sort of disseminate that information yes you're overjoyed at your recovery and that you're not using and you're clean and you want to go and say you're sorry to your mum and your dad and your sister and and you want to go and get 
Phil, who's your best friend, you know, ever, and he's still out there. I'll go and get Phil with somebody else. I mean, we won't go alone. We always go two out. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and that way we're a chance of coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah, but um, yeah. And, and I had to learn that, you know, that I couldn't. A lot of people in NA get that. You know, they, they want to go and save the world. You know what I mean? Well, just worry about saving yourself. It's it's your higher power will show you the door will open if you're meant to go on that route. You know what I mean? It hasn't opened to me. Like, yeah. I've been, I've been, don't get me wrong, I go to lots of meetings and I get to share a lot. People like my story, you know, but, um, and I, and I, and I share a lot after the, after the second half of the meeting, they call it, I share it that sort of place too, you know, but, um, it's not for everyone to, to, to do that, you know, it's, it's, every one of us is different and everyone's recovery is different, you know, and, and women get it harder because that, that, you know, blokes want to sort of say, oh, I like her, you know, well, my wife's a lot younger than me. I was 35 and she was 20. She's fantastic. She's beautiful. She's everything I've ever needed, you know, and, and more. And, and I've got two beautiful children, you know. And what, but anyway, life goes on. And I'm, I'm a lucky man, you know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm blessed, you know. My, my children are beautiful. My children haven't been, I think my son, my youngest son, he went with some people one day to a, a disused uh, mine sort of thing and, and they broke in and they were just walking through it as kids do and I think it was about 15 yeah. and they, someone called the cops or an alarm went off and they came there and they took his name and just but nothing happened you know what I mean and that's, yeah. that's the, the centre of my, my problem with my children and that's the only thing that's ever happened yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty good yeah. I'm blessed aren't I <laughs> they go to work they make money they, they say what they're going to do they don't abuse women they don't they're just beautiful <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. I believe there was, I believe there was a time. Try to ease someone, try to ease a nervous mind. Nobody, we could be each other's friends. 
last song was GFY featuring Alter Boy by Book's Kid off the first Sounds Volume 7 album. Uh, Jared Wall is a First Nations singer-songwriter, a proud Noongar man from Fremantle, and her song was courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system. 20 Years on the Inside, I'm Vicky Roach. And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs on the inside as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcasts. 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration. A lot of the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are. You know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what that's what this is about for me. Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app. total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law, 6pm Tuesdays. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Tony about recovering from drug abuse uh, with the help of Narcotics Anonymous. So, Tony, sort of to take you back a little bit, you, you talked about when you're in NA and they said you had to stop drinking as well as using drugs. So which was hardest for you, the alcohol or the drugs? Oh, the drugs, yeah. So, I, I mean, I started off with acid, then I got into um, hash, and then I got into marijuana, and then I got into speed or crank, um, and then um, I got into heroin. And heroin, every time I took a different drug, I thought, this is the one. <laughs> so, well, this is the one I should be taking. You know, this is, and, this, and that's the way I thought. And there's drugs out there today that I've never taken, and I, some, I'm still a human being. I sometimes think, Maybe that's the drug that I could take. <laughs> I can't manage taking, you know, Panadol, much less, you know, anything else. And and my life, my life would soon change and turn into a to the nightmare that it used to be, you know. And I mean, to tell a true story, I was quite suicidal a lot in in prison. You know, do you know what I mean? I was really, you know, I went on a hunger strike at one stage, and I didn't have anything to eat for 24 days. And they didn't even notice. That's how much they cared. You know, and I'd lost a whole lot of weight. And I just thought, you don't even care, do you? And they don't care. You know, and no one cared. You know, and there was no one to care for me. Um, and in recovery, I've got that. I've got, I've got a higher power who who seems to uh, open up doors for me. Um, 
I started off cleaning supermarkets when I, when I got clean. I cleaned supermarkets and it was a backbreaking job, mm. you know what I mean? Like, and, and you had to do it at a, at a certain amount of time and it was, you know, and it was really hard. And, and then I restored furniture of a daytime and cleaned supermarkets of a nighttime, you know what I mean? So, and then we had a baby and, and then I was, you know, I need more money now than baby you know so I worked harder and harder and then I, I worked for a charity um to, but on, on wages you know what I mean and, and I made, made them a lot of money but um and I, and I was happy at that and then I, I I got a job selling land and houses through a through a member and it was really really good and I made um a, a lot of money you know and and the money t- started to take me down that down, down a path I didn't want to go. And I lost a lot. Thank God I lost a lot. And uh, we I had to get out of our house. I lost I had two other blocks of land and two other houses. I had to get rid of the lot and um, uh, to pay people back and stuff like that. And um, and I had to start again. And it was like it was like the second a second recovery is, is how I sort of talk about it. You know, it was I'm 29 years clean next month if I make it to next month. Do you know what I mean? So I was about 15 years clean when, I, when when all that sort of happened to me, and I sort of thought, you know, and I didn't I didn't blame my higher power, but I thought there must be some sort of reason to this, you know, like I was getting too too happy and too successful, and and I didn't I didn't have any knowledge of how to look after money, and 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 I was just splurging it in places where I shouldn't have been splurging it, and all that time it was my thinking started to change, you know what I mean, yeah, and. Drugs aren't that bad, and do you know what I mean? And and I didn't use, you know what I mean? I was very very lucky that I didn't use, but um, and I was really lucky, you know, that I didn't use. And then I left that sort of job, you know what I mean? And and did nothing. My wife worked really really hard because we had two children by then, and I still went to meetings, you know what I mean? And and we probably went to more meetings then because I really needed the help. And I got back on the track, do you know what I mean? Uh, and I had to do that, the, the a big fourth step, which is um, write down everything you've ever done, you know, and then you share it, your fifth step, and then, you know, it goes on from there. And, and to, to clean, re-cleanse myself, do you know what I mean? Um, it was a hard tool to swallow, but I had to swallow it. You know what I mean? I knew I had to swallow it. If there was, I love my wife. I love my kids. I didn't want to lose them, you know what I mean? And I had I had a life, do you know what I mean? And sure, we'd, we'd lost a lot of uh, material things, but I hadn't lost them, you know, like, and, they still love me, and, and that that love, that that relationship that I had uh, brought to life because I was clean, you know what I mean, um, was the thing that saved my ass, you know what I mean. So, the, and this is the second time round, you know, that I call it the second time round. I didn't bust, but I I come close to it, you know what I mean. Like, and and my wife just endured, you know. She and she did a lot of crying and tears, and you know, oh, we've lost this, we've lost that. Oh, what had how did you how did you blow all this money? You know, like what did you do? I said, well, I don't know. It's just gone though. I had all these cars and I smashed a few up. And do you know what I mean? Like it was just it was horrible. You know, it was really horrible. Did you keep going to meetings all the time that you were doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah, I never stopped going to meetings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Looking back, can you sort of see what aspect of your recovery, uh, you know, caused it? Yeah, yeah, complacency. You, I just became complacent, and I and I had all this money, and I and I still go to meetings, but I wouldn't go to as many as I used to. You know what I mean? But I still went, and I wasn't going home. I didn't. St- There's a second half, you know, where you meant to talk turkey, you know, like what's happening and all that sort of stuff. I just disappeared for that. I didn't. I wasn't hanging around. I was too good for that. You know what I mean? So it was just my higher power 
just smashing me because and, and that's what he, so if you love someone sometimes you have to smash them down to, and rebuild them you know what I mean? he, he gives you all these things you know and then he says well if you don't well that's fine you know you don't have to have it you know what I mean? but like this is what's going to happen to you and he, and he lets it happen to you and then so I made my comeback and then people didn't sort of see it as a comeback but people genuinely like me to be at their meetings I care a lot about people I, I seem to have the knack of being able to break into people's hearts that, that other people don't have that ability to do that, you know. My wife is not a talker like me, but she's smarter than me, and she's smarter than me by, by, by you know, a, a country mile. You remember she's really clever, and 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 I'm lucky that I have her in my life so because she can see when I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing, you know, maybe all the things that are going to take me off the track, you know, like she sort of says, do you really think you should be going there? Do you... Don't you think you should be doing this? You know, and, and shouldn't you be doing a meeting today? You know, stuff like that. You know, say, so, oh yeah, that's right. I'll go to work. You know, like that. So, and I'm I'm, I'm blessed with that. You know? Yeah, it's um, I I noted before when you talked about when she was sort of questioning you about some of your behaviour after the meetings and stuff, that she wasn't telling you what to do. She was just telling you. What you shouldn't be doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was up to you what you did, but you know, just just yeah, try and yeah. try and avoid these things. <laughs> She's very patient and kind. She must really love me. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, that's all I can say. Um, my boys, they really love me. You know what I mean? Like, so my recovery. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I've had some highlights in my recovery. I, I, I've done a lot of. Um, they have they have um, big sort of meetings um, annually, you know what I mean? And, and I was a guest speaker at those, and they recorded that, and that went around the world. And you know, I had people ringing me up from places where I could hardly understand what they were saying. So, oh, you're really good. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, <laughs> you know, but like you could be like me too, but you've got to do all the things that I did. It was a terrible life to get the story I had. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I would love to just. I took care of my mates and, I, and I, I knew I was an addict and I got clean. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, they don't realise the commitment you've got to make, do they? No. Uh, yeah. So talking about your kids then, I guess reflecting on your own childhood and your lack of connection to your mother and father. So, you know, seeing your children grow up free of those sort of problems uh, and having a good relationship with them yourself. So what, what's that like for you, you know, knowing that you've sort of broken the cycle? I had to learn. So when they were babies, I was so frightened. You know, have babies, they're little yeah. things, aren't they? You know, she'd say, look after him. I'd say, no, no, no. You're crazy, you know. But um, when they got to sort of like two and three and they could actually sort of not interact, but like they could smile and all that, I just loved it. I just soaked it all up. It was just it was just joy. You know? I mean, to see a little baby smiling at you, you know, like and... and to hold them and and to, and push them on a bike and you know push them on a three wheeler and, and let them. Gabriel used to draw behind the doors, you know. I used to say, "Did you do that, Gabriel?" And he'd say, "No, no, I don't mean it. That's all right." Then. <laughs> 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 it was the only one that did it. <laughs> uh, but I never, I never growled at them. You know what I mean? It was always just laugh. You know what I mean? And and it didn't matter what they. Did, you know what I mean? Like, one time at the kindergarten, uh, one was in the, he's two years above Gabriel. You know what I mean? So he, 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 he would, he would, they were digging a tunnel under the fence. There were two yards. You know what I mean? So they were digging a tunnel under the fence so they could shake hands with each other. You know what I mean? That's how much they loved each other. 
my kids say that I'm we're the best parents that 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 anyone's yeah. ever had. You know what I mean? Like there are other parents that they, they, they don't want to talk to them. They don't. We they were in our lives. We used to take them to meetings, you know, and, and I used to I used to mind them the, the first half, and then my wife they would mind them the second half, or vice versa, so that we could share and listen to them without the kids, you know. Because kids are kids, we can't shut them yeah. up. You remember, and we didn't want to, you know, and, and we did, and we never had. I remember Gabriel coming to my wife when he was about four and saying, "Is Santa real? I need to know," you know. And she said, "No, he's not." And, she, and he, he burst into tears and said, "I thought so." <laughs> uh, if you tell people the truth, they don't have to love it. They got to know yeah. it, don't they? You know what I mean, and I've plenty of people that that have come to me. So you need to do this. You know, you need to. You need to do, you know, and they say do 90 meetings in 90 days, you know, and well, that means you've got to do one a day. And it's not that hard. Back then, it was, the, there's a lot of meetings in Victoria now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can do them. It is a lot easier. And particularly, you can probably do a couple of meetings a day on Zoom, things like that these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's no Zoom. I didn't know what Zoom was. My wife kept me on Zoom. Yeah. I use the computer sparingly. <laughs> so our lives are... I mean, we've gone through that that hard patch. Every marriage, I think, has a hard patch. And if I can explain it like that, it was a hard time to go through when I lost everything and, you know, and I was a bit dejected and, you know, but I, I picked myself up, dusted myself up and got back into meetings. And not that I'd stopped them, but I got back into them and was listening more, you know what I mean? And instead of just me wanting to share, you know, I actually listened to what people were saying to me. And, and I listened to my wife a lot more, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, she's my guru. Do you know what I mean? Like she keeps me, yeah, she keeps me on the on the track, you know. And and she shouldn't have to, should she? You know, I should be able to get on the track myself. But um, just one of those people. I just, you know, I can wander off. But I, I haven't wandered off for the last fifteen. I'm coming up to yeah. twenty nine. You know what I mean? It's a long time. And she's she's branched out and does other things now. And 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 I'm happy for that. And she's found her niche in in her life. Do you know what I mean? Like, so we're we're a unit, but we're we're we still got we're individuals. You yeah. know what I mean? Like and. That's another beautiful thing about our marriage, you know. We, we, we love each other, but we can go and do whatever we want to do, you remain it. Yeah. The important thing is, is respecting them as individuals and letting them live their own lives. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and being able to live your own life on your own terms is, is great, yeah. I said, in your maddest moments, when everything's going wrong and you can't, you know, just remember how lucky yeah. you are, you know. And, and that's, that's what I think about my life, you know, how... Many people that, that I knew, you know, from boys' home are dead, you know, many, mm. many people. I had I had to go and get outside of I had to do stuff that was outside of No Place in Home, so I had to go to um, a psychologist who um, did a lot of EMDR. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's, um, so I had a lot of PTSD, so the drownings of that, that young man, um, when I was at Buxton in, in Tirana, you know what I mean? He drowned in the lake there um, with me. And I had a lot of um, a lot of horrific things happen to me along the way with people ODing. And I remember I went to a party in Richmond when I was first using heroin and, and I got in there and I, I walked through the kitchen. There was a bloke dead at the table, you know, that was a party. You know, and I said, so I said to the lady there, I said, that he's dead. She said, yeah, we know he's dead. And we can't move him out now because we're in the middle of a party, you know. So I said, oh, all right. <laughs> so I had to bring up all that stuff. And PTSD is um, it's something so horrific that instead of the brain, the brain completing it, it stops, it seizes. Mm. So 
you're halfway through something and it seizes and, and then it keeps coming back. So every time you have that thought, it brings back that most horrible part because it's stopped. And what this EMDR does, it helps it complete. So then it goes away. You know what I mean? Um, so I had to do that. And that was something that, that my higher power, I found it. I found that, to, that that's what I had to do. You know what I mean? And I did it. It took about six months. I had about 30 of them that I had to get sorted through, you know. And, and that took away a lot of the, I used to get not depressed, but um, anxious, you know, yeah. anxious. And, and, and because of all that sort of stuff that had happened to me, getting arrested and, being a kid in a, you know, a locked up. It's pretty traumatic. Yeah, do you know what I mean? For no reason, yeah. I hadn't done anything wrong. You know, like, and then, you know, I saw lots of people OD. I OD'd myself. I OD'd five times, you know. And I remember pulling a gun on someone in Sydney at an ambulance man. I said, get out of here, you know, and he'd just give me Narcan. And he nearly split your skull in half, you know. I said, get out and don't ever come back. He said, yeah. we won't. <laughs> so I was so relieved. <laughs> My girlfriend was so upset. <laughs> You've cost me a fortune, you idiot. <laughs> I can't use all over again. <laughs> so I'm glad I could sort all that stuff out. So it's gone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's gone. It, I still remember things happened, but there's no there's no pictures like throbbing in front yeah. of my eyes, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's, it's a part of my journey, you know. It's um, part of life. I had a lot of sponsors. I've had a lot of sponsors. Some were good, some were good. You know, the first one to tell me to get an abortion, he wasn't that flash, you know, but um, I, I can't pick them. And, and, and just my wife always says, just pick the ones that are quiet and calm. You know? I said, yeah. I said, They're the ones I need. You know what I mean? Like, it's not always what you want that's going to make you happy. It's- well, listen, um, I'll give out some information on Narcotics Anonymous. If anybody would like to talk to somebody or requires more information about Narcotics Anonymous, uh, you can call them on 1300-652-820 at any time or you can go online at navic.net.au. Uh, so that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Tony for sharing his recovery experience with us and explaining how Narcotics Anonymous helped him. Thanks, Tony. Thank you very much, Bill. been a pleasure. I hope you better join us again next week when we'll be talking to Craig from Alcoholics Anonymous about his recovery from alcoholism. I hope you have a very good Christmas break. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.